0: Well, oh, Marina, good morning. I first came to a Power Baptist church in 1977 at the invitation of Janet, who was then my fiancé. Six months later, Roland Browning, the then pastor, married us here, so we're just coming up to our 45th wedding anniversary. We got involved in church life, and two years later, I preached my first sermon. Eight months later, we went to Baptist Theological College in Auckland with the full backing and the support of this church, and so began a journey that has been beyond anything we could have imagined. This church played a major role in preparing us and sending us on an amazing journey of serving Jesus. A journey that's been very scary at times, fulfilling, stretching, astonishing, incredible. There, there are many words that could describe it. And it's now brought us back to Apollo and the St. Martins area. And a couple of weeks ago, we were welcomed back into membership of this church. Because this is once again our church home and the place where we want to continue serving our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning I I want to start off by acknowledging the part this church has played in our lives as I give thanks to God for it. And today, as has already been said, um, for the fourth time in 43 years, I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you. So on the screen you see John chapter 19, verse 30. The words of Jesus from the cross, it is finished. And that raises a question. What's finished? Well, my apologies. It's not yet my sermon. So you're going to have to wait a bit longer for your coffee. Nor is it this series of sayings of Jesus from the cross, because there's one more next week. And the door? Well, certainly it doesn't look finished, does it? But we'll come back to that later. So what is finished? For a few moments, I want you to imagine that you're there at the crucifixion. You can imagine you're a Roman soldier, there to keep the peace and make sure everyone behaves. If you prefer, you can imagine that you're one of the Jewish authorities, there to make sure this upstart heretic really is put to death. Or you can imagine you're one of the crowd. With no Netflix, Facebook or computer games, what else is there to do but watch an afternoon's gory entertainment? In your imagination, realize that Jesus is obviously very close to the last moments of his life. He's quickly sliding into the oblivion of death. And maybe you think that it's the end of the intense agony and torture of the last 12 hours that has caused these words. It is finished is surely a cry of relief from pain as his body finally shuts down. Maybe as you watch this 33-year-old's life come to an end on a Roman cross, you hear the word, the cry, it is finished as a moan of defeat. As all his hopes and aspirations come to a pointless and futile early end. After all, Jesus has gone through its Hard to think that he spoke these words without utter exhaustion and intense pain. But this is no cry of relief, no moan of defeat. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And we're not Roman soldiers, Jewish authorities, or or bored onlookers from first century Jerusalem. Most of all or all of us are followers of Jesus Christ, some for most of our lives. We live in the 21st century in Christchurch. We know what happens next three days later. We have our Bibles, including the New Testament, which not only tells us the words of Jesus and his followers, but help us to see the great plan of God for his amazing creation. So what do we understand by these words of Jesus? Moments before his death on the cross, what is finished? And more importantly, how does this affect how we will go from this place and take up our lives again through the days and the weeks ahead? To try and answer these questions, let's read from John's Gospel. Chapter 19, verses 28 to 31. Later, knowing that all was completed, and so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, Put a sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had refi- received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, Rod covered most of that last week when he, finished, when he focused on the fifth saying of Jesus on the cross. I am thirsty. But notice three phrases. All was now completed. Scripture would be fulfilled. It is finished. And notice especially three words in those phrases. Completed, fulfilled, finished. Different words in English, but they're synonyms. Words that have almost exactly the same meaning. And if that isn't technical enough for you, in Greek, the original language in which John wrote this gospel, the first and last are exactly the same word. And the middle one differs only from the others in its grammatical tense. So what's going on? Why this repetition? Hasn't someone said that it's true if something is repeated three times? It's important, and we should take notice. Look at each of those phrases in turn. First of all, Jesus knew that all things were now completed. At this point, Jesus is still alive, just. But he knew that nothing would now stand in the way of his death. This is what he had come to earth to do. It was what God his Father had sent him for, to give his life as a ransom for many. It was God's purpose, it was Jesus' purpose. And now he's reached the point of no return. There was nothing more that could stop that moment when he would give up his life. But why would anyone Nailed to a cross, be thinking that. Why be thinking about completion? But that's the point. It's only because Jesus was so utterly determined to die on the cross that he'd reached that point of no return. In fact, if you think about it, throughout the Gospels, they tell us again and again that almost everyone had tried their utmost to stop Jesus dying on the cross. Herod had tried to do it when Jesus was just a little baby. The whole thing would have been stopped at that point if he had succeeded. When Jesus entered the ministry, the devil, in his temptations, tried to persuade Jesus not to go the way of obedience and death anyway. But that... At Caesarea Philippi, his own disciples had to go. For when Jesus began to explain to them what they ahead of him in terms of suffering and death, Peter jumps up and says, No, no, Lord, that is not what is going to happen to you. Later on, when his own mother and family tried to dissuade him, saying, Come on home, give up that crazy idea the night before the crucifixion in Gethsemane, from somewhere deep inside Jesus' own consciousness had come a deep longing to not have to drink the bitter cup his father had given him. That morning, Pilate had tried to release him. And even on the cross, one of the thieves being crucified with him demanded, Jesus, save yourself. And yet, despite the attempts of friend and foe to dissuade him, Jesus, throughout his whole life, was determined to go through with it. And now, he'd reached the final point. It is finished. All is now completed. Nothing stands in the way of Jesus giving his life. The second phrase tells us that Scripture would be fulfilled. And that reminds us that throughout Jesus' whole life, Scripture has played a major role. And now he hangs on the cross. And Scripture fills his mind, almost certainly Psalm 22, which contains a prophetic picture where, as Rod said there, are some stunning parallels between this picture of Jesus on the cross and the psalmist's experience, the mockers, the physical suffering, the piercing of the hands and his feet, the casting of lots for his clothing. Think back two sermons to the fourth saying of Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a direct quote from the first verse of Psalm 22, which Jesus uses because it fits his intense anguish. Think back to last week and the fifth saying, I thirst. That quite possibly parallels verse 15. My strength is dried up like a piece of clay and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's thirst. But if you read through 22, and I urge you to do so later on today, you'll notice that it's a psalm in two halves. The parallels with the horrific things Jesus is going through, and the two quotes are from the first half, which speak about the acute suffering the psalmist is going through. The feeling of being abandoned by God, being abused by other people, And being in such a situation that he is absolutely paralyzed and drained out. And Jesus sees in that half of the psalm himself. But the second half of the psalm is different, it speaks of praise and salvation. And ultimately, the salvation that God will bring in, not just to the psalmist himself, but also to the poor and to the rich, to the generations that have died and the generations yet to come. And in the climax of the psalm, it tells us that all the families of the earth and all the ends of the earth will come to worship God for his salvation. And Jesus sees this and understands it in his present situation. And he says, it is finished. And that probably also reflects Psalm 22. For the last line, the very climax of the psalm says, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. God has done it. The psalmist shouts in triumph, it has been done by God. And Jesus says, it is finished. It is done. All has now been completed. Scripture has been fulfilled. It is finished. God has done it. But go back to that first question. What exactly has God done? What is finished? What does all of this include? Let's turn to our Bibles to find some answers. First of all, it is the plan of God to deal with all the guilt of human sin. And there is only one way that that could be done. For sin had to be punished so that God's own justice could be vindicated. And at the cross, God's plan was completed for through Jesus, God dealt with sin. The words of Peter, Jesus Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. But if you think about it, we often stop there and see only that on the cross, sin was dealt with. But there's much more, much, much more. For it is the plan of God, not just to deal with sin, but also to defeat all the powers of evil, powers seen, powers unseen, angelic spiritual dynamic, all the evil powers that crush and invade and destroy and oppress human life. And that also was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. As Paul says in Colossians, Christ himself disarmed the powers and the authorities made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Keep going, for there's still more. It was the plan of God to destroy death, to defeat the great invader and enemy of human life. And that also was accomplished at the cross, where God, by Christ's death, destroyed the one who holds the power of death, even the devil. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who has the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying? Keep going, for there's still more. It was God's plan to remove the barrier and the alienation that separated Jew and Gentile one from another. Even as they were there at the cross, Jews and Gentiles standing there together, and it was God's intention ultimately to remove all forms of alienation between human beings. Paul tells us in Ephes to, when he tells the Ephesians, you have been brought near to God through the blood of Christ, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And yes, amazingly, there is still more. It's termed above and beyond all of this. It was God's plan to heal and to reconcile and to restore the whole of his creation. For this was the great cosmic mission of God. And that was accomplished in anticipation at the cross of Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians it was God's ultimately will through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's quite some catalog. Did you get it? That on the cross, God's plan was that sin should be punished and sinners forgiven, that evil should be defeated and humanity liberated, that death should be destroyed and life and immortality brought to light, that enemies should be reconciled to one another and to God, and that the whole of creation will be restored and reconciled to its creator. And all of that was accomplished, completed, Finished by Jesus at the cross. And that will be there at the new creation. Will be there because Jesus shed his blood on the cross. And all that will not be there. Sin, wickedness, evil, pain, suffering, tears. All that will not be there will not be there. Because they were defeated by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so of all that God intended, Jesus said, it is done. It's finished. It's accomplished. And on that hangs the uniqueness of the Christian message. Because it is the Christian gospel alone which says that salvation is not a matter of what you do to persuade God to save you and please you. Rather, it's what God has already done to save you and the whole of creation. It is finished. I like the way the door looks unfinished. In fact, it looks quite unfit for the job. It reminds me that the cross does not in any way seemed to be the way to achieve all these things. But it was. And so Jesus could declare moments before the death, the words on that door, it is finished. You probably can't see it, but have a look later. For at the base of the door is a chessboard, on which a chess piece the king Lies on its side. Those of you who are familiar with chess will know that when you place the king on its side, the game is ended. But only you can lay down the king. After Jesus said it is finished, John tells us that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is quite Deliberate language. Jesus didn't just expire. He gave his own life. It was his moment, his choice. He was in control. He knew exactly what he was doing. Okay, that's all very well. But in a short time, you and I are going to leave this building and go back into our everyday world. And the challenge I give is, how will Jesus' words help us? How will the words, it is finished, change us and help us face the days and the weeks ahead? I suggest that believing in what Jesus finished on the cross can give us a confidence and a sure and certain hope we will need for all that lies ahead. Sin has been dealt with. There's nothing more that we can do. It's all God's amazing grace from beginning to end. All the guilt of all my sin, of all my life, of all your life, was laid on him. My sin, as the hymn puts it, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, O oh my soul." The more recent hymn has put it, "It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Evil is defeated. Yes, we still face Satan but we do not have to give in to him. On the 6th of June 1944, during World War II, the Allied forces landed in Normandy. At that point, Germany had essentially lost the war. They could not win. Yet it was another 336 days before Germany surrendered, during which some of the fiercest fighting of that war took place. Satan might... Um, fight hard. But because of the cross, he is a defeated foe. He cannot win. Evil has been defeated. We can refuse to give in to him. Death will be destroyed. And we should not fear that. In a few days, I have a big zero birthday of which the psalmist says, The days of our years are threescore years and ten. But I'm also reminded of the words of Paul. For me to live is Christ, and die is gain. We all face death, but we do not need to fear it. We can spend our remaining days living for the one who died on the cross, and looking forward to eternity with him whom God raised to life, the firstfruits of all who have died. It was God's intention ultimately to remove all forms of alienation between human beings. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is for all, no matter who or what we are. God's grace and love is for all. Who will accept it? And we who have put our faith in Christ crucified should not be putting up barriers between us and other people, but rather we should be extending the love of God to all people, including our families, our neighbors, our workmates, and those who are different to us in all sorts of ways. And finally, In the end, the whole of creation will be restored and reconciled to its creator. And through faith in Jesus, we will enjoy eternity in his presence, free from sin, wickedness, evil, pain, suffering, tears, corruption, and decay. As John tells us in the final chapters of Revelation, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God will dwell with us and we will be his people and God himself will be with us and be our God. And God will wipe away all tears from our eyes and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain for the former things have, been, have passed away. And so we can go into the world with sure and certain hope and confidence For on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. I want to give you now the space for reflection. A time to wonder at the incredible love of God in Christ Jesus. A time to talk to God a time to respond to what God has been saying to you this morning, a time to make decisions and changes to what you face in the days ahead in view of the words of Jesus from the cross. To help us, there's a video of a Welsh hymn, Here is love, vast as the ocean. The two verses are sung first in Welsh, then in English, and then after the song, God will bring the service to a close. Thank you, Stephen. That was um, both profound and passionate. I'd like to invite you all to stand. I'm going to finish our service with a benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen. Have a good week.